Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to take to false gods. May many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll to desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from the Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pat. Well, it's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker for this morning, Dr. Gary Brashears. And um, I remember reading The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard several years ago, and one of the points that he makes is that um, we are all disciples of someone. Um, whether we realize it or not or use that language or not, all of our lives and particularly our faith uh, formation has been marked by a handful of individuals. And so when I read that, I made a list of the people who have discipled me over the years, so to speak, who have been uh, influential in the formation of my faith, theology, and approach to ministry. And uh, Gary is in the top five in, in those people in my life, and I'm incredibly grateful for him. A uh, longtime friend and mentor and a friend of Antioch as well. And, um, and so I am, I'm grateful that he's uh, with us again today. And even though he's had such a huge influence on my life, that doesn't mean any of my deficiencies are his fault. I just want to make sure that's, that's clear. He gets credit for any of the good stuff. But, um, but Gary's been a theologian and a professor at Western Seminary up in Portland for most of my life, probably. And, um, 
And uh, we're really, really thankful to have him with us uh, again this morning. If you remember last year, or a little over a year, he, he was here with us and was in the midst of some really nasty uh, cancer treatments. And uh, he's going to give us a little bit of an update on that this morning. But as soon as Kip is done doing whatever Kip's doing to Gary here, we'll... Uh... <laughs> So please welcome Dr. Gary Brashears. Thank you. Yeah, it, uh, it has been quite a journey, because I was here last time, and I was talking about uh, the metastatic melanoma that had gone from my, up here in my forehead uh, down to my lungs and brain. And uh, one of the cool things is that here just recently, uh, the radio oncologist who was working on the stuff in my brain uh, said, Gary, there's nothing in your brain which confirmed what Sherry had thought for a long time. <laughs> yeah. This is my pretty wife, Sherry. She's here with us this morning and glad to have her here. I, and it's, it's been a journey. Uh, if, uh, so I've been released by the medical oncologist, the bladder cancer, uh, Dr. Frager. I still look at the inside of my bladder regularly. Sherry uh, did it twice with Sherry. The third time she said, I've seen it. I don't need to see it again. And, uh, nothing, nothing exciting in my bladder either, which is nice. So I'm on yearly things there. And I, I'm still doing the uh, Opdivo immunotherapy. And what Dr. Mashu says is I have three more treatments and then I'll be done. And he thinks they're like done forever. And uh, I can't quite wrap my faith around that yet, but I hope he's right. And so I just praise God for Jim Allison. Uh, he is the man, the research, uh, I don't know, immunotherapist, I don't, I don't know what to call him, geneticist something, that did the hard work to make the breakthroughs in what now is fairly routine treatment for more and more cancers of immunotherapies. And Jim Allison uh, is a quirky character. One of my infusion nurses told me about a movie, a documentary called Breakthrough which is the Jim Allison story. And it's his story of how he accomplished the discoveries where he had to go against the, the whole tide of his profession and see that there was something there. And now immunotherapy is, is an emerging thing. And uh, nine years ago, when this stuff appeared in my head, the only treatment for, uh, for melanoma was surgery. And they did surgery and took out and for I was having my annual checks and nothing, nothing, nothing. And then September eight, 15 months ago, 16 months ago, uh, is when they discovered the metastatic melanoma because I had bladder cancer. And the CT scan to see what was causing the blood in my urine discovered not only the bladder cancer, but the nodules in my lungs that led this whole thing. And so when I look at this passage that we're looking at here today, which I did not choose, Pete says he did not choose it, but I think he actually wrote the uh, the liturgy that you guys are following to give me this passage because it certainly is appropriate. And, and what I call this, uh, this thing is I just call it weight training. And I'm actually using my friend Renee Schlepfer who's pastor at Twin Lakes Church down in, Los, in uh, Santa Cruz area, uh, Los Gatos. And he preached a sermon a dozen years ago and I went back and listened to it and I'm going to be using some of the material that he did just because I think he, he got it right. 
So I can't see what's up there. Is there a, some scripture verse up there? Why don't we scan and read this scripture together? It's, uh, I, I'm a, I love the Bible, and this is such a powerful passage. So Psalm chapter 40, we'll read verses 1 through 11 again. For the director of music of David, a psalm, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here am I, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. This is the word of the Lord. It's such a profound passage. Uh, frankly, this is one of the songs I skip over. I, I mean, I, when I do my read-throughs, I read it, but until I was forced to really meditate on it by the assignment from the liturgy, I had not really delved into it because it's, it's, uh, it's too happy. <laughs> you rescued me, yay! But as you keep reading it, you realize at the end of the time, he's still in trouble. He's still in trouble. He begins, you lifted me out of the miry pit, in the end, my troubles are everywhere. So there's something crazy going on here, and I, don't, I want to read good psalms, not crazy psalms. <laughs> you know, I want to read ones that are kind of straightforward. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you're with us, all good. Yay, and I lost the Lord forever. Yay, I love it. This isn't like that. It's a conflicted psalm. And there's stuff in it, and as I got to dig into it, it got weirder and weirder. So welcome to Antioch. <laughs> so let's look at this a bit together. First of all, it, the, the title for the director of music. And I find myself wanting to know who is this choir director? 50 of the 150 Psalms have this title for the director of music. 
who is this choir director? Well, uh, Ray Lubeck, who teaches at Multnomah, got me started on something, and he said, you know, it's not about a music, it's not a choir director. So I went and looked up in the Hebrew, and if I looked up director, it's uh, the word, the uh, primary meaning is the warrior. That's quite a word, music director. <laughs> yeah. And you keep looking at this particular Hebrew word, and it's the triumphant. Okay. I played in orchestra a long time, high school and college, and Dr. Frederick triumphed over us regularly. <laughs> uh, I was first chair of viola in an Albuquerque Youth Symphony, and uh, he got so excited, amazing, amazing musician, that he would exhort us, and he'd often spit on us, those in the front row. So <laughs> I don't think that's quite what it's talking about. And it keeps going, it's the enduring. In the Septuagint, which is the early Greek translation of the Bible done about 200 BC, translates this unto the end, eistatelos. The choir director, unto the end? And yet one more, so that's the Septuagint, for the end. Now, it's not the Hebrew, that's the Septuagint translation. And what I suggest to you is we put this all together, we would say, instead of the director of music, we would say the one triumphant at the end. Who do you think that might be? Who do you think that might be? Who do you think that might be? Messiah. These psalms are not dedicated to a choir director. A third of the psalms have in the header for the Messiah, the promised one, that goes back to Genesis 3.15. And there's a, there's a strong tradition in the Jewish world that hates Christianity. The big St. Thomas Aquinas of the Jewish world is Rashi, about the same time as Thomas Aquinas, and he just went through systematically and read the Messiah out of the Old Testament because of his hatred for Christianity. And that hatred had reasons behind it. The Christians were really hard on the Jews. So this psalm is directed to the Messiah. And that's where we're at. So we come back and look here at verse 1. And I waited patiently for the Lord. The Hebrew does a kind of weird thing. It's, it's, it says, waited twice. And if it translated this literally, it said, waiting, I waited. Waiting, I waited. So in my waiting, I'm waiting. And you know, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so I got to thinking about this, and with help of Renee and Don Carson and John Piper and a whole bunch of others that I read through, uh, what he's saying here is that when he is waiting, he's waiting patiently, but it's more than just patient. Go to the next slide where it's highlighted. Uh, it's more than that. He is waiting, and he's waiting in the slimy pit. Uh, the miry clay. The picture here, if you look at different translations, it's going to translate in different ways because this is not a photographic picture. This is an emotional picture of a time when you're just waiting and there's no end to it. And a picture is like your Jeremiah. Remember he was thrown in a well by the guy who didn't like him? And he's down there and he's in a well that has no water in it, but it's just mud at the bottom. Now, you're in that muddy pit and you hear a roaring of water. 
and here comes the water, and it's starting to come up, and it begins to roil, and you hear the roaring. It's, it's a mixing of pictures that it just could not possibly be worse, is what it's talking about. And the picture, well, this is a picture that I found that kind of summarizes what it looks like. The tears won't stop. And when I think about this, my, these days, my heart always goes to Whitney Woolard. Neil and Whitney Woolard. Neil's on staff. He's a pastor at Henson Church. We tried desperately to hire Neil to be our worship pastor at my church, Grace Community Church in Gresham. And he wanted to be a full-blown pastor, associate pastor, and he went down to Henson. Marvelous man of God. And Whitney is one of our Bible teachers in the women's program at Western. And she's one of the best Bible teachers I know. Whitney is a marvelous, godly woman, and she is waiting. For about two years, she has been in the pit of, we don't even know what, don't even know what it is. Uh, it's, uh, her body does not work. She can't eat. She can't get enough nutrition to maintain her energy. She is in incredible pain all the time. That's what is Lyme disease, it may be. They thought it was chronic fatigue. They have all kinds of stuff, and they just don't know. But on top of that, not only physical maladies, she has a psychiatric condition that leaves her. She just drops into incredible despair, and she's been on a whole cycle of psychiatric medication to try to help with that. And she's just been a med change, and changing med is really, really difficult to do. She's about two months into the med change, and the depression is eased significantly. She's not going to the pit of despair at that horrible level when she just cries all the time. But now the anxiety is kicking up. And Whitney is a, a woman that I care deeply for. We have a good relationship. I haven't seen Whitney live except once briefly in the past two years because she can't entertain visitors. But we text back and forth. I pray for her. And that's the picture. We're waiting in the slimy pit. And at one level, and you look at this next picture here, this is another picture. It's not Whitney literally, but it's Whitney metaphorically. She hasn't even energy to raise her hand off the bed. And here she's one of the best Bible teachers I know, both emotionally and theologically. And she's waiting. And part of what I do in the sermon is the lessons that I've learned for Whitney as she is waiting, because this psalm really is her psalm. I texted her this morning as Sherry are having breakfast and told her I was preaching over here, preaching lessons she's taught me by her life and by her faithfulness to God. Because this is talking about being lifted out of the miry pit, but it's also talking about what you do while you're in the pit. So as we look at this together here, Again, back to verses 1, 2, and 3. I see happening here in this wait, as I waiting, in waiting I waited, I see what he's doing. He's not waiting fatalistically. He is not wailing with the, oh, woe is me, just letting him slip into despair and depression and hopelessness, which is easy to do. He is waiting actively, proactively. And in this verse, what is he doing? I do this thing where I ask you questions and you answer. Is that okay? <laughs> I know he doesn't do it, but I do. 
right? What is he doing according to this verse? As he's in the slimy pit. He says, I'd set my feet in a rock and lift me a firm place to stand. Yeah, but the psalm has, he's still in the pit. What is he doing? What is he doing here? He's singing praise to the Lord. He's singing praise to the Lord. He's singing praise to the Lord. How easy is that to do? If you're Whitney Willard or something like that and you're in a miry pit and all you can hear is the roar of disaster around you? How easy is that to do? Because Satan is around all the time saying, well, God cared a whit about you. He wouldn't let you do this. Like, what kind of God is he? Look what he's doing to you. Look what he's not doing to you. He didn't care about you. He probably went to vacation to Maui to prepare a pace for Pete. <laughs> and that temptation is so powerful to give God the middle finger and go find another God or just scrap the God thing altogether. And what he's doing here in the pit is he's declaring the truth about God even when he does not feel it. I've been on the phone with Whitney more than once and I was declaring the wonders of God to help her declare the wonders of God when she could just barely, barely, barely scrape the words out. But she said, Gary, please help me do it because I want to so badly. That's the psalm that we're talking about here. And you look for a day when you'll put a new song in. And we're praying together, Whitney, that this med change will change things significantly. She's looking at the possibility of going to Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic for stomach surgery to relieve the problems in her stomach. Don't know if that's going to happen yet or not. And we're crying out, Lord, help. We declare your faithfulness, but it's in a miry pit. The next slide. Bless the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud or turn aside to false gods. See, the temptation is, like I say, is to deconstruct your theology. God has not done what I want him to do, so fooey on him, I'm gone, forget you. That's the temptation and the thing you don't. What's he doing in verse 5? What's he doing in verse 5? David, the psalmist, who knows a lot about being in trouble. Remember when uh, he was anointed by Samuel? For the next 15 years, he's running the desert trying to get, not to get killed by Saul, who's the guy on the throne there in Jerusalem. He knows a lot about waiting and the horrors of doing it. What is he doing here in verse 5? What is he doing? What's he doing? Yeah, say it. It's okay. What's he doing? What? What's well, praising God? We already said that, but what's the different thing here? What? Remembering. remembering and seeing. See, this. the first thing is what you say. He's declaring the faithful God and, and declaring who God is even when it doesn't feel like that. The second thing is he's looking around him and he's seeing the wondrous things that are there. And we're in the slimy pit. It's hard to see those beauties. We were at the restaurant this morning <laughs> and uh, there was a, Sherry, she is so mean to me. 
We sat down, and she sat on the side that was looking toward the mom and the dad and two little kids so she could laugh and smile at the little girl. And I had my back to the little girl and only saw the leftovers of her meal that was left on the floor of the restaurant. <laughs> but see, when you're a slimy pit, a little girl like that is, you don't see the wonder of that. The beauty of a flower, the incredible glory of a jumping spider, Really? How many of you examined a jumping spider up close and personal beside me? Good. There are three or four of you. The rest of you need to do it. They're absolutely amazing little animals. And yes, don't get too close or they might jump on you, but they can't jump more than about two inches, so you can look up really up close. And see what I'm saying, and with a bit of lightheartedness, is when you're in this miry pit and in that spot, you declare the glory of who God is, but you also look for the wonders of his creation and the glimmers of his grace that does things in dark places. And that's a commitment that you make to see and declare the wonders are all over the place. Lord, help me see them. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see things that are so hard to see to me because of the, the fog of despair that blinds my eyes a second thing this is talking about. A third thing, chapter 40, verse 6. This is a bizarre verse. Sorry, I just got to stop and Bible geek on you for a little bit. Hebrew poetry is, is typified by parallelism. You say things and you say it again with a little bit different wording, a little bit different phrasing. Sometimes they're contrasting, many times they're parallel. There's a parallelism here. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, burnt offerings and sin offers you did not require. That's a parallelism. What's the crazy thing? What's the crazy thing? What is it? What is that doing there? What in the world is that you opened my ears going on? And the, I, I mean, if you, there's, it's hard to translate because it could be there's wax on my ears and I'm digging it out with a Q-tip against my doctor's orders. That's what that could be. I've never done that. Of course I've never done that. It could be that you help me listen, but what is that doing in the middle of the parallelism? It breaks the parallelism. Now, there's two possibilities. One, an inept editor dropped something in where it shouldn't have been. I don't follow that particular line. It could be that the psalmist is saying something to capture our attention by breaking a pattern. And again, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Bible, translate this line. That's the next slide. That's in my ears you open. It translates it. How does it translate it? How does my ears you have opened get translated by the Greek-speaking Jews as a body you have prepared for me. There's no connection that I can see. And it's really interesting when you look at that because this verse is quoted in the book of Hebrews. And when you look in the book of Hebrews, chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10, this is what it says. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and it quotes Psalm 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and offer you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, it's quoting the Septuagint, with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. 
the preacher of Hebrews takes Psalm 40, verse 6, and applies it to Jesus. How in the world did he get that to apply to Jesus? Well, who is the psalm dedicated to? Who is the psalm dedicated to? Messiah. 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 It's a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating passage. Sorry, I just have to geek out on things like that. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Now, aren't the Jews required to do sacrifices? Say yes. This is not talking about that. This is not talking about the Mosaic sacrificial system. That's not what it's talking about at all. What it's talking about is, okay, God, you're not doing what I think you should do, what I think is the right thing to do, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you a sacrifice to magically manipulate you to do what I want. Because if, if I bring you a sacrifice, it's something really costly, maybe I can buy your relief. Maybe I can show you how much I'm willing to hurt myself so that you'll know that I'm dedicated to you. That's the kind of sacrifice that don't, you don't want. Because see, the other gods, you go and buy their stuff by bringing the sacrifice, and that's true with other gods today. He's saying, you don't want me to bring some sacrifice to buy your, your relief. You want me to wait on you. If you did that, I would bring them. So come down to Psalm 40, verse 9. He comes back to this theme again of speaking the great acts of God. So that begins back in the first strophe. Then we see his wonders. Then we don't do magical stuff. Oh my gosh, this is so fun. Ridiculous. I just killed my PowerPoint here. Get this back up here again so I can read what I have. The, in, uh, in verse 8, I don't know what you're seeing here. Verse 8, I'll just says, I desire to do your will, Lord, my law is within my heart. That the, as opposed to bring magical offerings, I am saying I'm desiring to do your will, and that's everything you do. So I do the will of God even when I'm in despair. Now, Sharon and I spent three years in the Philippines, and that's where if I had my choice, I'd be serving as a missionary in the Philippines. God uh, mistreated me and made me come to Western Seminary so I'd work with people like Pete. <laughs> but I, my heart in many ways is still in the Philippines, and I'd love to have been there as a missionary. There are some Muslim terrorists down the southern part of the Philippines, the western part of the island of Mindanao. And a group of them captured some tourists out of a resort down there. And among those tourists were Martin and Gracia Burnham. They were New Tribes missionaries. He's a pilot, she's a nurse. And they were taking a short vacation, very short vacation, just to rest up because he'd just come back from the United States for a, uh, they wanted to become chief pilot for the entire ministry, which would mean you have to move back to the United States. And they were looking at this together and doing some ministry work together, so they took one night in this nice resort down in the southern part of the Philippines, and the terrorists raided that night and took all the tourists and captured them 
and held them for over a year. Made the national news, international news, and I followed that story pretty closely. I never met the Burnhams, but actually some of their kids were at Faith Academy uh, while, while I was there. During that time, Martin Burnham was waiting to be released. They had two kids that were not captured. They were up in the northern part of the Luzon Island, and they were waiting. And while he was waiting, while they were waiting, Martin Burnham, big strong man, served his captors. And everything he could possibly do, he said, I want to serve you. He would spread joy to them. He would pray for them. One of the captors had a nasty, nasty bout of dysentery. And Martin Burnham took his underwear and washed it to serve the man who was so sick he could not get off of his bed. He did the will of God while he's being held captive with no reason of his own. And I'm reading their book. My in uh, The book is, uh, let's see, I've got it written down here. In, uh, in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. The Psalm 23 passage. And I think, could I do that? Could I do that? Could I do that kind of will to serve my enemies, to wash the filth of their dysenteried underwear? To bring them food? To take their trash out? I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. I'll speak your saving acts. I'll do your will. And in this last piece, we see verse 11. He's back in the pit again. Begging God, do not withhold your mercy. Troubles out numbers around me. And what I think is happening here is that God, God's rescue here is not so much rescue from the circumstances. It's not rescue so much from the situation. But what he's doing is changing his orientation. He's giving a frame of reference to live in the time of trouble. And when we bring this back to Jesus, remember the whole psalm is talking about Jesus who had his own time in the miry pit. And what he's saying is, I will, I will declare your greatness. When in the miry pit, when the anxiety will not stop, when the depression is so great that no drug will overcome it, when the enemy will not give up, the co-worker who just delights in making life as miserable as possible for you. Put whatever your trouble is in there. I will declare your greatness, God, when the enemy is saying, God doesn't care about you. I will, God, I will look for the wonders of your creation, of your work. My phrase is, I will see your goodness. I will get the glimmers of your grace even in dark places. And I will do your will. I will serve my enemies. And being a theologian type, I want a frame of reference. I did this when I was here before, and I want to do it again. There are three frames of reference that good and godly people do. The first one is, when you're doing weight training, is this that, is that God ordains evil for his greater glory and our ultimate good. That's a framework. Why is the evil happening? God ordained it. God planned it 
for his greater glory and our ultimate good. That would be a framework that people like Tim Keller or John Piper would say. A second frame, God allows us to choose evil for the sake of a true loving relationship. God allows us. He didn't ordain evil. He allows us to choose evil because he wants to say yes to him. And for the yes to be meaningful, there has to be the possibility of a no. So God allows us. And the third framework, God is at war with evil, using good as his primary weapon to overcome it. Sometimes God ordains evil from this perspective, Jesus dying on the cross. Sometimes he allows it, Job. But on the whole, he is overcoming evil with good, and he is at war with evil. And if you put these in theological systems, the first one is a Calvinist view. A second one would be the more Arminian view. That's what you get in C.S. Lewis, uh, folk like that. I mean, Jack Cottrell, uh, good and godly people. The third one is the godly Calminian view. God works in different ways with different people, and this is my view. Because I think sometimes God is ordains things, I think sometimes God allows things, but on the whole, God is at war with evil. And we live in a war zone. And I see Psalm chapter 40 as a, in a way that tells us how to live effectively in a war zone. And what he's asking us to do is be warriors for Jesus who use good to overcome evil, to bring order and peace into the chaos monster's destruction and despair, and even when we're caught up in that despair. So I want to take a moment here and just have a bit for meditation and prayer, and then Pete will come up and lead us in communion as we commit ourselves once again to receiving his grace to serve as warriors in this troubled, miry place. Let's pray together. You do know what it's like to be in the miry pit. You know what it's like to be betrayed. You know what it's like to be left alone. You know what it's been like to be attacked. You know what it's like to be thrown in a pit and beaten savagely. And you show us how to live. This psalm dedicated to you shows us how to live. Holy Spirit, will you bring this into our minds and hearts that we can be transformed from what the enemy wants us to be, despairing, complaining whiners, to faithful, loving, Jesus-like people making peace and doing good in this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.